0: So, Annie, I want to kick off our first (laughs) action-packed episode with something that will be truly helpful to teachers as they plan for next school year. Mm -hmm. If I were to ask you what the biggest frustration you saw teachers Mm -hmm. face this past year... What would it be?
1: Without even having to hesitate, I think I can unilaterally answer that from teachers across, for sure, this district, if not nation, and that would be classroom management. Yeah. Because you can't really even get to the academics and student achievement or classroom culture or really anything that matters if your class is in a state of chaos. And most teachers would say that things feel even harder post-pandemic. I certainly
0: would. Yeah. I mean, that... Totally. It is... Whenever I look out onto the interwebs, that is what I hear teachers saying. So not just in Denver, not just.
1: And I've got to be very clear. Like I have prided myself in the last 15 years of teaching success that I've had some of the most challenging behaviors and have somehow figured out a way, not that it was easy, but to have a pretty cohesive classroom. These last two years have been the hardest ever ever and I'm the most experienced, and I only teach halftime, and there's a whole lot of and, and, ands of support that I have. And still, it, it was the hardest because of management and just the severe needs. Yeah.
0: Whatever we've been doing doesn't seem to be sufficient. No. Anymore. And we're not
1: trying to do things that address the root of the behavior. I think
0: that's the biggest thing. I I think back to all of the classroom management techniques I've, I was taught when I was first a teacher, and that was very much – Um, A reactive, like, what do I do when a student misbehaves sort of to control or redirect the misbehavior versus how do I create conditions that maybe minimize some of that?
1: Well, and I think the other thing that goes alongside with this issue is when the pandemic was happening and when it was certainly – I mean, it's still, I guess, happening – when the pandemic, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, um, there was such a conversation around the SEL needs that we were going to do and how we were going to reimagine education and yeah. all these things. And you hear it. You hear people talk about the importance of SEL. You you hear it all the time. And yet the other outside achievement measures are, if not, I mean, as important still, if not even higher place value, yeah. you can't do both simultaneously in a traditional system. Something's got to give.
0: Well, and the way that we are being prescribed to do SEL, it also is – I mean, it's thought of as a proactive thing, but I feel like all of the things we're being told to do are for an agenda of controlling students' behavior. And so things like SEL, things like telling teachers to build relationships often feel like they're done for this very, like, transactional purpose versus – we really do want to get to the root cause of what's going on with students, and we really do want to teach them strategies so that they can do this on their own, but we keep falling back into this trap where all these classroom management strategies feed into students being dependent on the teacher to continue, you know, rewarding them or giving them consequences or things instead of figuring out ways that students gradually can take ownership of well, and Ownership also and that themselves. is a way of life.
1: It's not just a 30 minute section of your day. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Totally. Totally.
0: And so the things, I actually don't feel like they ever really worked, but for some people, maybe they did work of, you know classroom dojo or clip charts or you know missing recess or any number of things. You know, at the end of the day, they don't work in the way we want, which is I don't want to be managing people's sh- people. Yeah in perpetuity. The structure of the school day doesn't actually allow us to really build real relationships unless you go on your lunch break <laughs>
1: Yeah, or I mean, at least the way it's traditionally done.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Because we are
1: here, again, to tell you there is actually a way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: let's move to that. We talked about what the challenges are. Let's move to how do we solve it differently. And that is uh, the H part of our TEACH framework, which we introduced last week. So if you didn't listen to that one, go back and listen real quick. And that is human-centered environmental design. And it's all about getting to the root of how we support students so that some of these behavior challenges never transpire. And and at the heart of that is creating the space for relationships and creating the space for student autonomy, which if you haven't listened to our episode eight, I think on, a lot of them. on mental health, <laughs> yeah, autonomy is a huge piece of yeah. that. Which just means choice, right? Like student yeah. ownership and choice. Yeah. So listeners, here's where we get actionable. We have five steps for you today to um, look at your environment and set it up to be conducive to both relationships and autonomy, which will get to the heart of a lot of things that make students struggle. And then next week we have even more strategies for you. Hi, I'm Allie.
1: And I'm Annie. And And you're you're listening listening to That's So Evolutionary,
0: an education podcast where we explore what teachers, psychologists, anthropologists, and the latest thought leaders are saying about what we can and must do to transform
1: learning environments so that every child has the opportunity to thrive in our world today.
0: Annie and I each have over a decade of experience in classrooms. And we are still teaching and
1: testing out ways to make schools work better for children
0: and for the adults who support them join Join us as we evaluate the evidence dig through the debates very bad ideas gush over good ones and build a roadmap for all teachers whether at home school or in the community to show what is possible as we evolve our system of education together. together okay step one Step one. So step one is to do an autonomy audit on your classroom. So why this is important is because when you audit your day and ask the question, when do students have the opportunity to make a meaningful decision about what's happening to them? You are going to find that it is not very often. And that is at the root of some of, that is the main thing that we learned about is at the root of a lot of the mental health challenges that s- students experience at school. Obviously, students come in with challenges, but the, but the lack of that locus of control gets exacerbated by our school day. And so um, in the Teach Hub, I actually have a, a handy little PDF to help you yes. do this. Uh, but uh, But essentially, you look through and see where can students – make a choice. Some places that we have choices in our morning sort of soft start time when students first come in. It's during our center's time for literacy and math. It's we have different choices of seating. Do you want to talk?
1: Yeah, I think seating is one of the easiest places you can start for this autonomy audit. So in this classroom, we have two different levels of tables where you can either be on a chair, you could be on a stool, we have tea chairs, we have all these different options, right, that kids have learned and understand how to, that's not good grammar, where kids have been taught and understand what these choices are and how to use them appropriately. But then there's freedom, right? And what I've noticed is most classrooms at least that I've seen or been a part of, have assigned seating and all of these things. We don't and never have. We don't have assigned seats on the carpet. We don't have assigned seats at tables. I'm going to trust that you can't be in the same place every single day and you can make the decision for yourself. And with that responsibility or freedom, or with that freedom comes great responsibility, right? And if you're not following the norms of the class, that might be, you know, taken away as a break for a minute and you can try again. But the idea is that you're going to do this great learning. I don't really care where you sit or how you sit as long as you're a part of this learning with us. And most of the time it It, it works. works beautifully. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, with that sort of choice in seating, at least within our center's time, students float in and out working with different partners. And so there's – or they – get a TV tray and put it in a corner and work by themselves. And so there's some aspect. Yeah.
1: I didn't even think about how Allie had introduced the routines of work mats and chowkies that kids understood where to get and how to lay and just this incredible sense of ownership over creating the space they need to be most productive.
0: Yeah. And a chowkie is like a TV tray. essentially. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's go on to number two. So number two is determine where in your your day you can have some student directed time. Um, Make sure that this time happens one to, I mean, ideally one to two times in the morning and one to two times in the afternoon for at least 15 to 20 minutes in each sitting. Mm -hmm. I find 20 to 40 minutes is ideal. Um, Annie, do you want to talk about, uh, we sort of referenced this in the first one, some of the times where we have that student-directed time where they can make choices?
1: Yeah, you heard Allie mention the soft start. And I know not every school has the ability to do that, but I would wager there's some flex time in your morning where you could. So what we do, just as a very simple place to start, kids have breakfast in our classrooms. So laid out are very intentional ideas or choices that kids can choose. So you can come in and eat breakfast or you might go to a coloring table, you might go to the science table, or perhaps there's a center you are working on in literacy that you really want to master, you can go and get that. So students have ownership over the room and what they do in the morning, and it allows them to come in ease into the day. I can go and check on kids, how was your night, how are you doing, laugh, tell jokes, you know, actually eat breakfast with kids is delightful, and it creates this very simple, beautiful, lovely, calm start to the morning where kids are in charge of how they started to come in. Yeah.
0: I mean, if I think that's probably one of the most powerful places you could start because if kids come in and the moment I worked at a school before that they came in and they had to be silent during this whole school meeting and then they went to silent breakfast. And so my interactions with them was very much stop talking, stop talking, like constant control, constant, you know, telling them what not to do. If they come in and the thing they immediately get to do is make a choice and their teacher isn't rushing around worrying about what they're trying to teach them, but can have some human time with them, you are really hitting on that autonomy and those relationships just in such a powerful way.
1: And a lot of times you'll see that teachers are approximating at this where there's like work, like a word of the day worksheet or there's table coloring. That's a step-ish in the right direction, but it's still pretty limiting and confining to this one skill of like art or, you know, whatever handwriting development. I didn't choose that, right? It's still yeah. a slow start, but I didn't choose. Now you may have that as an option that is available, amongst a variety of others, you know.
0: I think that's such an important point to make because besides the like practicing of the routine, if students don't have an element of choice, then you as the teacher are not going to have the freedom to just move around and hang with students because you're going to be f- constantly saying it's time to do the worksheet, it's time to do the yeah. worksheet. If students have chosen it, you're you're eliminating that.
1: Now, just to be clear because we talk a lot about how this choice doesn't mean free range and kids can be hanging from the light switches, you know, there are a lot of steps I haven't put in place that kids know what the choices are. Or if it's like, oh man, I really wanted to work with this fine motor bucket or whatever it is. There's no space available. Hey Annie, can I take this and go work over here on the floor? Absolutely. Or no, there's not enough room. There's too much out right now. Go, you know, like there's still limits within this freedom, but there's a lot of choice.
0: Yeah. And you have to have the limits. And then within that there's freedom. And so it's this Yeah, it's this amazing balance that is just really supportive for for kids.
1: And so as you're thinking about this too, like we're talking about, like you're like, but I don't have that system in the day. I don't have the time. Okay, fine. But then it's thinking about centers, right? When kids are doing word work, how are you really intentionally creating a variety of choices, not just this one way to do word work? How are you doing it with Play-Doh or something sensory? How are you doing it with movement? What are the different ways you can attack the same thing? We're going to have a lot of resources for you for that.
0: Yeah, and within these spaces – you know, are perfect times if, uh, where you can introduce, you know, choice-based literacy in math centers. And so if your school isn't supportive of these different, more student-directed times, that is the perfect way to show them, hey, this is a way for me to meet my range of student needs outside of, you know, my whole group lesson in math. Like in the morning when they come in, kids can choose from these different centers they, and they're getting an extra layer of practice. And so yep. there's lots of ways, and we hope to make all of it available in the hub.
1: It's back to that bullshitting the system one-on-one. Yes. Like, you're going to have better results. You're going to have better management and behavior, but also, like, kids are engaged and happy to be doing learning.
0: Totally. And if you don't have a traditional center's time in literacy and math, um, you know, I'm thinking about if you're a second-grade teacher. um uh, you probably have time in your math and literacy times where students finish with their work and so you have some thing that they do. Instead of just having some one thing that they do that's kind of arbitrary and you just have because you need something for them to do, this would be a perfect opportunity to try out some choice-based centers that, you know, you you make sure every day you have sort of 15 minutes where kids are finishing up and you're able to meet with others where they can make choices. And I guarantee you're not going to have the challenges that you have when kids finish early and then they finish that extension early. And, and you'll be shocked and to see
1: when four and five-year-olds, because that's how early we get some of our kids. We had a four-year-old. We thought he was five for the whole year. Yeah. Guess what? He could do these things beautifully. Yes,
0: absolutely. And, he, and as you he, dig he in... wanted to. He oh, would yeah. chase me around the room and say, could you do this
1: with me again? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which, you know, as you dig into our hub, if you're like, yeah, that all sounds great. But how there's gonna be a lot of howls in there for yeah, you. Yeah,
0: and there's a place where you can comment on everything. So if you have a question, you're like, I don't quite see how you're doing this, Allie or Annie, put it in there and we'll respond to you. We will. Yeah. Not because it. this we're very passionate about all of this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I promised that these were going to be a short <laughs> 10 to 15 minute <laughs> okay, episode. So talking. we're gonna keep we're gonna keep moving. Okay. All right. Um so Number 3 step is really important. The student directed time must have a predictable structure that you introduce and practice with students until it is second nature. And they need to have the opportunity to build the stamina over time. So, like Annie said, it's freedom within limits, and part of the limits are teaching them how to get out of work, how to put it away when they're done, how to get another work, things Things like that. How
1: to be on task while you're doing the work.
0: Yes, exactly. And there's a whole process to um, building that structure and then building stamina. Um, I'm guessing you've done, if you do centers, you've probably done something like that before. But we'll have examples of how we do this also in the hub. But the key is not just to throw kids into it. It's to have a predictable structure because that is what's going to enable you to... Be able to float around and have wonderful, joyful, responsive time with yeah, students. And without
1: expectations and accountability, none of it works. Yes. So please hear us when we say that freedom within limits is for real.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, number four, um, and this one's really important. I think I'm interested in your thoughts on this one, Annie. Um, when you are building this structure, it is all about building the structure and really you as the teacher having no agenda other than getting to know your students and modeling for them the way to do the structure. Um, I have made this mistake year after year where I'm like, I need to jump into teaching small groups or I need to jump into just teaching anything. No, when you're first building these structures where students are making choices, your job is to observe, to remodel for kids who maybe don't get it, or to just float around and get to know your students, um, unofficially uh, assess, you know, see where they are on different things. Um, but I mean, I think three to four weeks. Yeah.
1: Well, and I also would argue that is actually teaching. Yeah, it you, is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when I think, and, and obviously a lot of our work is geared towards ECE through second grade, but this applies for all kids. But when I'm thinking of our younger primary learners, the biggest things I care about at the beginning of the year and always are creating a cohesive classroom environment where kids get along and they can share and they take care of one another. And so this is the perfect time where they're learning how to navigate, sharing materials, putting things away, craftsmanship, what happens when you fail at a kind of a low stakes environment, right? But also, this is again where the bullshitting one oh one comes in. As I'm watching, you know, little Tommy and he's drawing at the drawing center, which was his choice, and he's working on writing his names, I'm like, Oh shit, Tommy doesn't know any of the letters in his name. I can now be pretty sneaky and start creating some letter-based centers that are play, that are choice, whatever that will give him another another layer of exposure. Yes. I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't have the time to watch and see what
0: Tommy yeah. needed, and right? observation to me is at the heart of being a responsive teacher. And again, we're used to having curriculum, pacing guides, and calendars dictate what we do. But in these – but the reason we want spaces like this is because then we truly can – be responsive to student needs. And then that ultimately accelerates (laughs) student growth. Every time. Yeah. All right. Number five. Uh, This one is also important. Keep track of which students you are spending time with. So at the beginning of the year when you're really going around and building relationships. And... um, And make sure you spend time with everyone at least once during the course of the week, like good quality time. Um, Obviously, prioritize students who need extra attention to get more than one touch point a week. Some students don't need you every day, though. Or at least as much. So it's really about thinking about equity and making sure that that everyone is getting some connection point with you because ultimately that's what's gonna lead to your stronger relationships. So inside the hub, I have a tracker that I've used in the past to keep track of When I've met with students, and then that just helps you as you go through the week. And there's also places where you can jot down notes like, so and so doesn't know any of their letters.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, when I was in my teacher training program, they had us, we had these little um, index card boxes where every kid had a tab. And the job that they were teaching us to do is writing down, like just having a stack of index cards, writing it down, and filing it into this little recipe box of not like, you know, wow. Allie knows how to write her name to 100 or numbers to 100, but Allie really loves geology and rocks and is fascinated by space. And by doing that with an intentional focus, it created those relationships, et cetera. But a cookie box or a recipe box and index cards is not very manageable. This free Google Tracker is.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And it's one that you could print out or it's one that you could yeah, type in totally. as you go. All right, Annie. That's been a lot. Would you like to um, give us the five steps just in a...
1: Yes. You number like one, autonomy audit. Where do you have places in your day to give students meaningful choice? Two, where do you have time for student-directed time? Where Where are they making choices in their day? We want like two to four ideally. Number three, student-directed time must have a predictable structure. Number four, no real agenda. Get to know these kids. This is not about intense, rigorous education, no opportunities, right? But it will lead to that, trust me. Number five, keep track of the kids. Who do you need to spend more time with? Who do you notice you're spending too much time with, Etc. cetera?
0: I knew I could count on a literacy teacher <laughs> to give me the gist. So if you want more in-depth examples of any of these things, like some of the resources I mentioned that come with it, um, then check out the H section of our Teach Hub, the Human Centered Environmental Design. And to sign up for a free account, you can go to
1: www.edvolutionary.com forward slash teach. Oh,
0: we made it so easy for you. (laughs) Amazing. Well... I'm interested to see how how uh, long this episode is because I was hoping for 10 <laughs> to 15 minutes, but we will see, listener. Hopefully you at least got the actionable parts of it. You did. And with that, this is Allie. I'm Annie. And you've been listening to That's So Evolutionary. <laughs>